to 2 Corinthians chapter 13, 2 Corinthians chapter 13, and we will be reading verses 11 through 14 here as well, so he wants a hand, <laughs> all right, okay, to have the energy, that's for sure, oh. All right, uh, 2 Corinthians 13, beginning at verse 11. Hear ye then the word of the Lord. Finally, brothers, rejoice. Aim for restoration, comfort one another, agree with one another, live in peace, and the God of love and peace will be with you. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the saints greet you. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for thy holy word, and we do pray, grant us greater understanding, Lord, and, and we do pray, loosen the tongues, O Lord, that we might proclaim thy word, Lord, this morning, but all the days of our lives. And Father, we do thank you, Lord, in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Well, we have finally come to essentially the uh, ending of our exposition through 2 Corinthians. Uh, it's a wonderful, magnificent, powerful letter of Paul to a church that had a lot of problems, okay? As you remember, if you read through 1 Corinthians and now 2 Corinthians, they had a lot of issues in this church over in Corinth. And so it was a very hard, tough task for Paul in visiting and writing. Visiting, remember, typically you're walking over there. Uh, so it was tough to visit and write and visiting again and also one more time to come. But Paul loved these brothers and sisters there in the city of Corinth, as he did all the churches, but he did feel here the need to defend his calling as an apostle of Christ. He needed that. He also saw the need to refute the false apostles who were accusing him, stirring up trouble against him. And so there were similarities between the city of Corinth, really, to much of modern-day America. And one commentator said that, and yeah, I had to quote this because I thought it was just too great. Um, but anyway, one commentator said this, The similarities are so similar to our modern-day culture that Paul's epistle of 1st and 2nd Corinthians could have been called 1st and 2nd Californians. And very, very true, right? Very true. But, but this was a city filled with Romans, a city of Jews, a city of ex-Roman soldiers, of ex-slaves who are now freedmen, and all kinds of entrepreneurs there in Corinth. It was a city of sports and Olympics, a city of entertainment of every vile kind as well, as well as a city of great sin and idolatry. A lot of paganism there in Corinth. And yet, there in the midst of all this, Paul, the apostle, by the power of the Holy Spirit, planted a church there in the very heart of this ungodly city. And a great and mighty work that Paul did there by the power of God. So everything was good, everything was great, right? Until the arrival of these so-called super apostles. Everything had calmed down for a while until then. That's when more problems began to be manifested, to reveal themselves um, because you have these so-called super apostles. They preach for fame and fortune while Paul preached for the salvation of sinners. They were exciting, these false teachers. They were exciting. They had great oratorical skills. They could just capture your mind and your attention as they just spoke 
Okay, I hear that from people who are Scottish and Irish, and you can listen to them all day long with their accents. But, but anyway, they had great oratorical skills. At the same time, they accused Paul of being boring and dull and spiritually lifeless. He said he can't make any money off this, and he wasn't trying to. They were. Okay, but they were wrong about the things they said, and they were lying about it, a lot of lies. And so Paul defends his ministry, and he defended the gospel of Jesus Christ that he preached and proclaimed. He was a minister of the new covenant, and he called the Corinthians here to repent and to fully embrace the gospel. Over and over and again, in the first and second Corinthians, he's telling them, you've got to stop sinning. You've got to repent from your sin. Turn from the sin and walk by faith in Christ. And yet, constantly, over and over, it seems that Paul is having to deal with this, uh, with these Corinthian believers here. Then after the warnings we see in our text in chapter 13, uh, verses 1 through 10, there he warned them to examine themselves to see if they're really in the faith or not. Are you truly? Have you been born again? Are you really in Christ? Is Christ dwelling in them or not? They, they need to look and examine themselves, test themselves. And Paul tells them that when he comes, and he will, that when he comes, he will exercise his full authority as an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ if they don't repent. And he wants them to repent. He doesn't want to have to come there in the full exercise of his authority to take care of this. He wants them to repent. And he longs for it. He desires it. And so they must realize that this is their last chance because he is coming. He said, do it now before I get there. Otherwise, I will have to bear the full authority of the Lord Jesus Christ to you as his apostle. And, say, and now Paul then, here coming to our text in verses 11 through 14, this seems to be a change in his attitude, a change toward his approach that's going on here uh, for them. Okay, it seems to be a great change that's there. Um, and he says this, he changes his tune a little bit. He's not you know, contradicting what he said, but he's giving them, he's changing his tune from the warnings that he gave in verses 1 through 10 to a bit of a more comforting, a more heartfelt uh, statement of exhortations. And yes, exhortations are commands, but he's doing it in a more of a gentle way. He's giving a greeting, and he's giving this wonderful benediction as well. But he cares for them, and he loves them, so he senses very warm affection for them in these closing words of this letter. And so he didn't want to end it on this hard note of, Repent now or you shall be judged very quickly to this more of a aim for restoration and comfort and peace. Desire these things. Be united as a body of Christ. Okay, so he's appealing to them in this warm, caring note because he does love them, all right? So with all that set up for us, let's look at our first heading in verse 11. Here we see... Five exhortations for unity. All right, that's how I titled it. Five exhortations for unity. Verse 11 says, Finally, brothers, rejoice, aim for restoration, comfort one another, agree with one another, live in peace, and the God of love and peace will be with you. So these exhortations in verse 11 are essentially a summary of everything in this letter, this second epistle of, to the Corinthians. 
So it's a summary of everything there. He's already addressed them, but most of these are one word in the original language, uh, such as rejoice, which we have there as one word, but, but most of these are one word. He says, finally, brothers, rejoice. Okay, so he uses the word finally, okay, ending the previous section, and he brings us to this summary here for us. Before, he was dealing with the unrepentant super-apostles and their deceits and their lies, and now he turns back to his brothers and sisters in the faith who he does hope to hear that they have truly repented. Okay, he hopes and he longs to hear that the brothers and sisters have truly turned from sin. And so he commands his brothers and sisters here to rejoice. Okay, to rejoice. Now, some translations use the word goodbye. Anybody have that? Anybody have that in their Bible? Goodbye? Okay. Um, but this is based upon the Greek word karate, okay, which refers to joy. Okay, so if you want to call it a joyous goodbye, then fine. But he truly wants them to not be bitter. Uh, he doesn't want them to be caught up in their sin. But he wants them to be in humble repentance and faith and as such to rejoice. They were a joy to Paul and he wants them to rejoice, especially in a true biblical unity, a unity of faith, a unity of the gospel, a unity in Christ. A unity because we are indwelled by the same Holy Spirit of God. A true unity of brothers and sisters in Christ. So a unity of faith, a unity in Christ, and rejoice as the saints of God. So when the errant brothers okay, repent, then he says, then rejoice too. Rejoice for them. Rejoice in what Christ has done for you, for your brothers, for your sisters. Rejoice what the Lord has done for them. And sing praise to the Lord all the days of your lives. Do so, he says. And so the first exhortation is to rejoice. And that's after all those warnings, right? He said rejoice. And then we come to the second exhortation. He said, aim for restoration. Now, the word for restoration here refers to something that was broken and is now being put back together, right? Or mended, mended together. And so we are seeking it here to put our relationships with one another back together. That's the idea here, restoring it, put it back together, mend it, okay, as that's needed, all right? And so we are seeking to do this uh, with one another. Was it broken here? Was that relationship broken? Basically, don't cast it into the trash heap, okay? Rather, mend the broken pieces back together. Will that be hard? Yes, it'll be hard. Are we still doing it anyway? Yes, we're to do it anyway. So yes, relationships always take work. They always take work and not abandonment. We are called to be peacemakers for Christ, and we need to start doing that. If a brother or a sister offends you, you don't say, well, you know what, I need to get... And I, I've said this before because I've heard it so many times. I need to get the negative people out of my life so I can just have positivity and feel good about myself. Like, and I was, my response is, is, we praise God. Jesus didn't say that. I need to get everybody negative out of my life. Because that would be all of us, right? And so, uh, yeah, and we are to follow in the footsteps of Christ. We're to put aside bitterness, put aside hard feelings, and put aside any kind of grudges, and we are to forgive one another, restore that relationship with your brother and sister in Christ, because that was what was happening in Corinth. 
brothers at odds against brothers and sisters against sisters, and it's unhealthy. So he says to them, you need to remove the hostility. There needs to be a peace, and there needs to be a love and a unity. Now look at verse, uh, next one, third and fourth exhortations. He says in verse 11, comfort one another and agree with one another. So to comfort here, of course, means that there was some kind of pain, all right? Uh, probably the result of the false apostles uh, or among them, but everyone needs some comfort once in a while. We all do. Everybody needs to be comforted, and we need to know that, that someone cares for us. Okay, even when we're going through the hard times, when we're going through, we feel like we've been in the ditch forever, someone else does care. Your brothers and sisters do care for you. And we need to be ready to reach out with the love of Christ to them. And it says the word comfort, of course, is a word from parakaleo in the Greek, which means comfort or comforter. We are to come alongside one another. Okay, we are to comfort one another in that way. We picture the person putting their arm around them, you know, and trying to comfort them and in that kind of manner. And likewise, he said, we are to agree with one another. Now, that doesn't mean you agree with every single thing that they've ever done. If they're all the false teaching, it doesn't mean you have to agree um, uh, with whatever it might be that would be sinful, all right? We are not to agree about that, uh, but we can be peaceful even when dealing with an errant brother. Uh, so it doesn't mean embrace false teaching at all, but rather it means to seek harmony with one another, okay? especially regarding the apostolic truth that Paul has taught. Now remember, Paul and the gospel that he has proclaimed was being basically uh, countermanded by his false apostles. And, of course, Paul, even he was examined by the other apostles, and they said, yeah, he's right. And Paul said, yeah, I know, because Christ told me. All right, so, uh, but yeah, so it doesn't mean you embrace false teaching, but rather try to be at harmony with your brothers and sisters. We are, in verse 11, to live in peace. Not a generic peace, but a peace that is in the Lord. Okay, a peace with your brother or sister in Christ. As they are indwelled by the Holy Spirit, they have been born again, they've been redeemed by the Son of God, of course, but it's a peace that you have in the Lord. It's a peace with your brothers, seeking their best, not hurting them and not shunning them. And by the way, I've heard of modern-day equivalents, people shunning. We do not shun our brothers and sisters in Christ, okay? We are not shunning uh, but rather we are to seek to be at peace. And yes, it may involve some encouragement, may involve some correction, but doing so for the glory of God and for their good, not to beat them over the head. And then we will find here in our text again, the God of love and peace will be with you. As we seek to live in love and peace with our brothers and sisters, we will then experience the love and peace of God in our own lives. Okay, that's what he's saying. And so we have these five exhortations, these commands given to the Christian to strive for restoration, strive for unity, and strive for peace among the body of Christ. Really, those five exhortations really boils down to those three things. Restoration, unity, and of course, peace among the body. All right, all together. These are all things that we must strive for and work for daily in our lives. If it was easy, we wouldn't be commanded to do it. It would be it was something that's not always easy, right? But we have to seek the peace and love of our brother and sister. Okay, leading to our second heading, which is kind of an interesting one. <clears throat> Look at verses 12 through 13. Here we see the call for a holy kiss. All right, um, 12 and 13. 
Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the saints greet you. All right. Um, all right. First of all, <laughs> here in verse 12, we have another exhortation. It is a command, uh, but it seems odd that we would need to be told to greet one another and then with a holy kiss. Now, I remember, I think I mentioned this 15, maybe 10 years ago, uh, whatever, I once uh, saw a pastor who was pre preaching on this, this holy kiss, and, and I believe it was his wife, I hope it was his wife, and he called her up there and then he gave her a kiss on her lips, and he said, there's a holy kiss. I said, no, I don't think that's what it means. I'm not going to call Danny up here and say, here you go, right there, man. If you love me, I'm your brother. He's not talking about that kind of a kiss, all right? Uh, but we have an exhortation to greet one another. Now, that's not something we commonly do in American society with a holy kiss. But we do, as a rule of thumb, do we do greet each other. But the expression Paul gives with a holy kiss simply means that it should be warm, it should be caring, it should be a brotherly expression of greeting. And in the New Testament days, it was a very warm, brotherly form of greeting, and it's continued to this day in other societies around the world, as far as uh, there was really no practice of that. But yet now we see uh, even some uh, very violent nations that will, if you meet them for the first time or whatever, they actually kiss you on both cheeks uh, as a greeting. Uh, but anyway, it's supposed to be a warm, affectionate, brotherly greeting. So nowadays it could be a handshake, maybe a nice little hug or other, but, but keep it godly. And so don't take this to mean a uh, kiss on the lips. It never says that at all. And this um, could be on the cheek, that'd be fine. But, uh, but yes, in other cultures, they will come up and do both cheeks as a form of greeting there. And now in the days of COVID, not so much, probably, over there. But the principle of the warm, brotherly greeting remains. Now, Hughes notes this, that Paul was the very first person in the Greco-Roman world, the Greek-Roman world, to instruct members of a mixed social group, because they are very mixed in Corinth, right, to greet one another with a kiss. Now, it is noted that this was not a practice found in other societies of that day. Paul was the first to call members to greet each other with a holy kiss, okay? A, a very godly, warm, brotherly greeting in this manner. Uh, another scholar said this, A holy kiss is a public declaration of the affirmation of faith in Christ. There is neither male nor female, Jew nor Greek, slave nor free. Charles Hodge, he said the command to greet, open, uh, greet one another with a holy kiss is not a perpetual obligation, rather is the spirit of the command that Christians are to express their mutual love in the way sanctioned by the age and community in which they live. And so the holy kiss was given before the Lord's Supper as a sign of mutual forgiveness. Uh, it was called the kiss of peace. It was an expression of unity for the church. And following this line of thought, Paul then sends the greetings, after saying all that, sends the greetings from all the saints, specifically the Macedonians, right? But specifically all of them. Uh, what was happening in Corinth was they were actually doing this, or keeping people at a distance. What we call that, keeping them at arm's length. Even though they're a brother or sister in Christ, there were some that they were just keeping away from them and staying away from them as well. So that would be a very cold expression to keep somebody at arm's length or at a distance, okay? And so Paul says, no, they are to embrace one another with love and compassion. You know, that handshake, that hug, that, that whatever it might be, 
uh, should be an expression of godly affection toward your brother or sister. Uh, so we're not to keep your brother or sister at arm's length. We are not to keep them aside. We're not to put them off. We're not to move away if they sit near you in the, in the congregation. If someone sits in your spot, I haven't seen anybody do this not right here. Uh, but I have seen it in other churches, and my wife has too, by the way. Uh, somebody sat in your spot, and they come in. The, the people who normally, can I use you as an example? <laughs> somebody comes in. And she's visiting for the first time. She's not, but she's visiting here for the first time, all right? And uh, somebody else said, well, you know what? She's in my spot. They come over to the end, they stare at her. Or they sit behind, they just stare at her. And it's like, I really do not feel welcome here. That's because you're in my spot. You need to move to the other side or something. And so, yeah, people can be very sorry when they do these kind of things. But, but yeah, we've actually seen people do that. That's been done to us visiting some churches. We did not know we were sat in somebody's spot. There's nobody there in that pew when we sat down. I did not know it was for Bubba and his wife. Uh, it, and it was. So, um, but, yeah, it was uh, hard to see. Uh, but, anyway, uh, so... We always have to remember, we're not to treat others in this manner, especially your brothers and sisters. Don't give them dirty looks. Don't show your disapproval for where they sat or how they sing or whatever it might be. This is one, remember, those who are seated next to you, these are those who Christ himself has died for and loves them. Christ himself has redeemed them with his own blood. So we better start following Christ's example even now, and show the proper affection and greetings for our brothers and sisters in Christ. Uh, by the way, uh, don't rely on special greeters to be friendly. I know churches that have like 10 or 15 greeters, which they, they mean that in a good way, but everybody else that sits there and kind of like, well, that's his job, he's the greeter. Now, if you see someone come in for the first time and they're, they're by themselves or whatever, then go over there and meet them. Take their hand, shake their hand, you know, and, and welcome them to being here. Give them a proper uh, greeting as you would to any brother or sister in Christ, but greet them. It should be a friendly greeting. So if you see the, someone sitting there, go say hello. Uh, sit nearby if you can. Uh, tell them, uh, you know, give them a bulletin if they don't have one, but show yourselves friendly to your brothers and sisters in Christ. You know, we need to be friendly. We need, shouldn't have to have greeters, but we do. We need greeters because sometimes we fail to be greeting as we need to be. I know some of y'all run right over the, I praise God for you, all right? I'm not talking about you if you do that. Uh, but sometimes we're not always warm and greeting, and we need to be. If we want to see you know, growth and all that, we want you know, people visit, said, well, I don't know about the preaching, but they sure were nice to me. They greeted me. Everybody said hello to me and all that. Um, they need to know that you care and that they are welcome when they come and see and visit with us. Leading us to our final uh, heading here in verse 14. And I read, we're talking about the threefold benediction here. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. All right. Um, while in verse 11 we had the comforting call to restoration, unity, and peace, now Paul gives the most eloquent benediction to this epistle. A very wonderful benediction. I use it all the time. I really love this benediction. I love the nature of it. Um, again, verse 14, The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Ghost be with you all. It is one of my favorite benedictions I have ever used, and I will declare it to you at the end of the service as well. 
But this benediction, as you read it and look through it, it is clearly a Trinitarian benediction, all right? Even though Paul is not giving us a doctrinal treatise on all this, okay, on the Trinity, Paul knows and he believes in the triune God, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, the three in one. It is a benediction, and by definition, a benediction is the pronouncement of God's blessing upon his people. And that's why I give a benediction at the end of the service. I am pronouncing God's blessings upon you. It's not for me. I'm telling you what God has said in his benediction to you. Okay, and I always want you to remember that when we do this. And so we have the grace of Christ, the love of God the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. The entire Trinity is involved in the blessings of his people, the church. All three, okay, the three in one, are involved in this blessing. Also amazing is that with all the problems and all the troubles and all the accusations that were made against Paul by those in Corinth, Paul still lovingly pronounces this beloved benediction upon these people. Uh, William Hendrickson said this, he said, the prayer is that the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit may endow the worshipers with the virtues of love, grace, and fellowship to equip them for service, okay? And they truly need these virtues from God. And we also, ourselves, we need these virtues from God. We all need the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. We all need the love of God. We all need the fellowship of the Holy Spirit every single day. We need these things, these virtues to grow in and to walk in before the Lord. Now, why does Paul begin? Now, this is kind of different. Usually, he'll begin with the Father and then the Son, okay, in other places, why does he begin with Christ here first, then the Father and the Holy Spirit afterwards? Well, he's doing it this way because he's following the order of salvation and the Christian life. And so he stresses the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. It was by grace through faith in Christ that we have been redeemed. It was because of the love of God the Father that the grace of Christ has been extended to you. And so we are reconciled and received and the Holy Spirit dwells within us. Um, and we have fellowship with God and one another because of the Holy Spirit of God dwelling within us. So this grace, this love, this fellowship belongs to every Christian. Not just those in Corinth, but as Paul says here, with you all. It belongs to you as a Christian, as one walking by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, trusting in the Lord, loving your brothers and sisters, and walking as in a way to please the Lord. Okay, these things belong to you. Another scholar said this, no matter how poor, no matter how needy, every Christian is warmly welcomed into the great embrace of our triune God. You have access to the throne of God because of Christ, because of him. So we trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, we know, trust in the Lord and you will be saved. By his grace, you're called into the body of Christ. By his love, you are made partakers of the redemption accomplished by Christ. And planned by the Father and by the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, we are united and have unity with the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And we have unity with one another, with one another, your brothers and your sisters all sitting around the room. And so we heed, we must heed, we must hear the comforting call for unity. And we must do so, yes, for our good and for our brothers and sisters' good 
but also for the glory of God in Christ. And I pray that we will do so. I pray that we will you know, be warm and affectionate toward one another, that we'll reach out with the love of Christ to, to those, the visitors that may come by and warm, you know, welcome to them as well. And, and if they need direction for something in particular, you know, be sure to give them directions as needed, but help them for the glory of God. Do so for their good so they know that, you know, somebody cares for me. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, for your holy word. We thank you, Father, for this time before you. We pray that you bless each heart, Lord, by your spirit and by your grace. But Lord, help us to truly uh, seek that unity among the brethren. Lord, that we show that, that love and peace that we have uh, for one another. Lord, all for your glory, but, but Lord, because of what you've done in our lives. And because by your grace and by your spirit and through Christ we have, we truly know the love and peace of God. Father, help us to reach out with that warmth and that loving kindness to those who are around us, Father. Lord, that we won't be judgmental if they don't look the same as we do or dress the same as we do or whatever it might be, but, but Lord, that we will love them to Christ, that we will share and declare Christ and the gospel to them. And Lord, that we might be particularly warm one toward another. And Father, we do ask and thank you in Jesus' holy name. Amen.